Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on making sense, the hub for JP Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of Market Matters, we discuss the latest news and trends shaping markets today. Hi, I'm Eloise Goulder, head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at JP Morgan. And today I'm joined by Krupa Patel, who runs our international market intelligence team and is quite a regular fixture on these podcasts. And I'm really looking forward to diving into the UK with Krupa today. So, Krupa, thank you so much for being here once again. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me again, Eloise. No problem. So, Krupa, I think it's fair to say that a lot has been going on in UK markets recently. We obviously had inflation actually surprised to the downside last Wednesday, albeit from pretty elevated levels. And then we had the Bank of England the next day on the Thursday pause its hiking cycle for the time being, at least. And then in the context of all of this, we've seen the UK's FTSE 100 be one of the best performing global indices over the last month or so. It's actually up about 6%, while global markets as a whole have been pretty weak. So a huge amount to discuss with you, Krupa. Can you start by providing some context on the domestic UK economy as a whole? Yeah, of course. So I think there's a very interesting inflation, growth and policy backdrop currently playing out in the UK. And it's actually quite dissimilar to what we're currently seeing in many of the UK's Western counterparts like the US and the Eurozone. So let's just start with the hot topic in the UK right now, which is inflation. Now, through all of this year, the UK has unfortunately been stuck with the highest inflation level in the G7, as we know. Now, while inflation has indeed come down pretty sharply from its peak of nearly 11% in October last year to the 6.7% print that we saw last Wednesday that you referenced as well, I would note that it is actually still quite elevated compared to what we're seeing in the US and in the Eurozone. So in the US, for instance, the CPI is currently at 3.7% and in the Eurozone, the HICP is at 5.2%. What I actually think is potentially more worrying in the UK is that even when you exclude food and energy, i.e. you look at what we call the core CPI, price pressures unfortunately are still relatively high. So the core CPI, despite the fairly large 70 bips drop that we saw last week, is still at 6.2%. And that compares to 4.3% in the US and 5.3% in the Eurozone. Now, there's a spanner in the works here, which I think we all need to take into account. Oil prices, they have, as we know, been sharply going up in the last few weeks. Brent has actually breached $95 a barrel. And that, I think, unfortunately means that the embedded inflation problem that the UK economy has notoriously been seen to have this year hasn't necessarily gone away yet. And especially when you consider that inflation in the UK already had what I like to call a Brexit premium attached to it, which could persist even if the cyclical headwinds for inflation fade in the coming months and quarters. That's such an interesting phrase, the Brexit premium for inflation in the UK. Of course, not necessarily a good premium. Interesting to hear that, Krupa. So I'm sensing quite a bearish tone from you in terms of the UK inflation picture, at least. What about growth, Krupa? Are you equally bearish about the UK growth outlook? Yeah, so that's the most pertinent question now, isn't it? Now, I think on the growth front, unlike in the Eurozone, it's not really clear that the UK is indeed heading towards a recession yet. 
yes, some of the recent GDP growth data that we've had is raising recession worries. But when you actually look at the UK macro surprise index, for instance, it's still in positive territory compared to the eurozone equivalent, which is still in the negative zone. The other relevant point I think is worth making here, and this is something that the Bank of England is also concerned about, is that the labour market in the UK is still very hot and has barely shown any signs of cracking. Wage growth, for instance, on this much widely tracked average weekly growth earnings measure that we have here in the UK is at 8.5%, and that's near a record high. So that's versus the Eurozone. Now, when you also compare the UK to the US, things look quite different for the two economies on the growth front. So, for instance, the US still looks to be heading towards a soft landing with inflation that has actually fallen markedly from last year's peak, and growth is still holding up relatively okay. The UK, by contrast, has seen inflation fall much more slowly, and the growth data here is still fairly good with the hot labour market, as I was mentioning earlier. Thanks so much, Cooper. It's really interesting to hear you lay all of that out. And it does sound like the UK is on quite a divergent path, really, at the moment in terms of both inflation, much higher than the US and somewhat higher than the Eurozone, and also growth, much hotter growth, really, than the Eurozone at this stage. So I guess my question is, what does this all mean for policy? I mean, on the face of it, All three central banks that we've heard from over the last two weeks, the ECB followed by the Fed and then the Bank of England, they've all signalled approximating a pause over the coming months. But the reality seems a bit different from your lens. Is that right? That's a brilliant observation, Eloise. And I think it's something that not many are appreciating right now, because to your point, at face value, it looks like all three of these central banks, i.e. the Bank of England, the ECB and the Fed, are all heading towards a pretty similar policy path, because to your point earlier, all three of them paused in their rate hiking cycle in the last week or so. But I think actually the important difference comes when you look at the policy path for all three of these central banks for next year. And I do think that global central bank policy divergence could actually be a pretty important theme in markets in 2024. So let me just lay out different nuances of what we are currently looking at for the Bank of England versus the ECB and the Fed. So The Bank of England, for instance, paused its hiking cycle last week, as we know, given this really sharp fall that you had in core inflation. But it's important to remember that they also still signaled a clear tightening bias for the future. Hugh Pill, who we know is the Bank of England's chief economist, has recently talked about the UK potentially looking at a table mountain approach for rates for next year, which means that the Bank of England hikes rates up to a level which it feels is enough to bring inflation back down to target and then leaves them there for an extended period of time. Now, you could argue that higher for longer is a message that all major central banks have retraded lately. But I think where the key difference lies between the UK and, say, the Eurozone is that the UK economy is still relatively resilient with a higher inflation level versus the Eurozone economy potentially being on the brink of a recession, which is why you had the ECB a couple of weeks ago signaling an end to its tightening cycle. And then again, versus the US, whether or not the Fed is done already or will be in November, both the Fed's own projections and the market is currently pricing in at least 50 bips of rate cuts by next year end, which we know is not something the Bank of England has been talking about in recent weeks. 
That's so interesting. Thanks, Krupa. So this year, perhaps the policy differentials won't be that different. But next year, the theme for 2024 really seems to be around those inflation differentials and policy differentials. And surely at some stage, the markets need to begin to price that in. I mean, what's your take on that, Krupa? Yeah, I think that's really a key point, right? And I think that's why we're doing this podcast today, because I think what's really underappreciated amongst global investors is that there are some really interesting inflation, growth, and policy differentials currently playing out in the UK versus the rest of the DM world. And that's what is, I think, currently creating this really interesting RV trade opportunities that are definitely worth looking at, not just for the domestic investor, but also for global investors. Yes, it feels like great timing to be having this conversation. So you've just provided a fantastic segue, I think, to discuss markets themselves. I mentioned earlier that the FTSE 100's actually been very resilient. It's actually rallied 5 or 6% over the last month. But the FTSE 100 as a whole has been a laggard really this year. It's been quite unloved, I would argue. Krupa, what's your take on why that's been the case? Yeah, that's the obvious question, isn't it? So I think there are a few reasons why the FTSE has been so unloved this year. Firstly, I'd say it's been US exceptionalism, which obviously we know has been a key theme in markets this year with this really strong rebound that we've had in the S&P 500, largely driven by a pretty big bounce back in the tech and AI stocks. The dollar, of course, has also rallied pretty strongly year to date, debunking these de-dollarization calls, which were obviously ramping up last year. Then the second theme that has actually dominated markets this year has been China. First as a positive in Q1 on the back of the reopening of its economy, and then as a negative with a sharp resurgence in liquidity stress in its housing market, which obviously has driven this material growth slowdown that we've seen in the economy in the last quarter. Now, you could argue that the recent stimulus headlines have been a minor positive, but I'd say that they're still not a game changer for the economy's outlook. All in all, though, China remains a key driver for global risk sentiment and one that I think global investors are still trying to navigate, even if it's not likely through domestic China. I think the China exposed cyclicals in Europe is still something that people are looking to play as we continue to get more news flow out of China. And then I think the third region, which has actually been on global investors' radar this year quite interestingly and to a certain extent surprisingly, is Japan. And I know, Krupa, you've been very bullish Japan for a long time. Yes, exactly. We've talked about the economy's structural transformation from its decades-long deflation to a more normal inflationary cycle. And that's really been getting reflected in the topics this year, which, as you know, has actually rallied up to levels that were last seen in the 1990s. So I think it's really those three regions, i.e. US, China and Japan, where arguably there has been a lot more interesting themes which global investors have preferred to look at, where compared to the UK, where arguably the inflation, growth and policy dynamics still feel too tricky to navigate. Interesting. So it's really what the UK market has not offered that's been the cause of underperformance in your view this year. Yeah, I think that's very well put. It has been quite tricky to navigate the inflation, growth and policy dynamics in the UK. But I think that's where there is such a great opportunity or set of opportunities that we currently have in the UK. Interesting. Thank you. And I guess we do need to remember that the FTSE 100 was actually an outperformer last year. Last year, 2022, a year when global indices as a whole fell. 
and the FTSE 100 and also it was Japan, wasn't it? The Nikkei were outperforming indices back then, proving to be quite resilient. So perhaps there's no surprise that from a mean reversion perspective, other global indices like the S&P 500 should be reverting higher this year, but the FTSE has lagged. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, last year, to your point, the UK did do very well. But I would say sort of it was up until around September, October time, when you obviously had this strong rise in political uncertainty with Liz Truss's mini budget that really led to global investors starting to lose confidence in the UK equity story again. But it is important to remember that the political environment has actually been fairly stable since then. And even though there might be a little bit of uncertainty around who potentially wins next year's general election coming back up, I do think that the fundamentals here are interesting enough, especially when you compare to what's going on in the Eurozone and in the US right now to play some really interesting RV trades here. Thank you, Krupa. Well, we definitely need to get on to those interesting RV relative value trades. So I guess it's common knowledge, I think, that the FTSE 100 is a very globally exposed index. We think about 80% of the revenues of the FTSE 100 are derived abroad. So it's not necessarily the best reflection of what's going on here in the UK. So there's the FTSE 100 and then there's all of the domestically exposed indices, whether you look at the FTSE 250, which is more domestically exposed, or our custom baskets, which are much more domestically exposed. And I'm sure, Krupa, you've got different views on all of these themes. But one factor that is critical to determine your view on this is the pound. So Krupa, can we just turn to the pound before we go to equities? What are your views? Yeah, so I think the inflation growth and policy trade-off in the UK, which we obviously ran through in quite a lot of detail earlier, is clearly unfavourable for the sterling. Stagflation is a real threat, I think, for the UK now. And either the Bank of England will need to keep raising rates to a higher level and for a longer duration compared to most major DM central banks to induce a recession, which then helps bring inflation down, or all the rate tightening that we've seen so far will already have a material impact on both the inflation and growth data in the coming weeks and months, which likely leads the Bank of England to pause soon. Either way, I don't think the sterling, despite this fairly large, nearly 7% fall that it's had from its peak of 131 in mid-July, is pricing in these macro risks yet. Remember, cable rallied by nearly 23% from the near parity levels it hit post the mini-budget last year to its peak in July. And even though I agree that a full reversal may be too extreme at this stage, I think the fact that the dollar continues to see tailwinds from the soft landing narrative in the US means that it's not implausible that we could go down to 110 or 115 on the cable from here. Isn't there a counter argument that sterling would actually be quite strong into 2024 if the Bank of England retains its higher for longer type path versus the Fed? That's a great point, actually. And it's something that clients ask me too. Now, the way I think of it is that even if the Bank of England leaves rates unchanged for next year, i.e. the Table Mountain approach that Hubel has talked about, the issue is rates at an elevated level for a long duration of time could potentially induce a recession in the UK economy still. So it's really the macro risk, which I don't think sterling is still pricing in, even after the rollover it's seen in the last couple of months. That absolutely makes sense. So you're really prioritising growth over your inflation views here and this high conviction that growth in the UK at some stage, whether it's sooner or later, is going to roll over. And for that reason, you see sterling is pretty vulnerable. Exactly. 
And are FX strategists, I think they're similarly bearish, is that right? Yes, they are very much on board with that view. I mean, they've been bearish sterling uh, for a little while to their credit, and they continue to think that the sterling is not at its fair value and will likely continue coming down given this very unfavourable inflation growth dynamics that we have in the UK economy right now. Fascinating. Thank you, Krupa. And one more question before we dive into UK equities, and that's UK bond yields or gilt yields. They've also been on quite a different path, haven't they, versus US bond yields over the last month or two. I think gilt yields have been falling and US bond yields have been rising. So what's going on here? Yeah, I was waiting for you to come to the gilts market, actually, (laughs) because buying this asset has admittedly been quite popular amongst domestic investors, particularly retail investors, because as we know, gilts are capital gains exempt. So yeah, I mean, to answer your question, yes, gilt yields, particularly in the shorter dated segment, have seen a pretty sharp fall on the back of falling inflation. I still think that there could be further downside here. I think there are a lot of growth risks that the UK economy faces still, as we've talked about at length earlier. And I just don't think that despite the, what is it, nearly 65 bips fall that we've seen in the two-year gilt yields, I still don't think that all of that growth weakness, which the UK economy is looking at, is potentially priced in yet. Interesting. Thank you, Krupa. So can we turn to UK equities now? I mean, what are your core views? And I'm sure you've got different views on the various indices out there. Yeah. So when it comes to the key equity benchmark in the UK, which is FTSE 100, I do agree with what you said earlier. It is a fairly unloved index compared to a lot of DM markets like the US, Eurozone, and lately even Japan. In the last month, though, there have been some signs of recovery. I know you mentioned that the markets rallied by nearly 6%. And I think that it is actually the beginning of a much broader rally, especially if the sterling continues to depreciate here. So FTSE 100 is actually not a UK index. And this is something that I think the global investors still don't entirely appreciate. It derives 82% of its revenues from overseas. So a falling sterling is highly beneficial for this index. But also, it's not just the FX tailwind here, which is what I think is important to remember. There's a lot else that's going on for this index right now. So for instance, it's highly exposed to defensive sectors like commodities, healthcare, and staples, which obviously are all doing fairly well recently. It remains one of the cheapest markets globally. So if you look at the relative 12-month forward P of its C100 versus global equities, still near a record low. The 12-month forward dividend yield of 3.7%, still highest in the DM world. Hasn't the recent rally in energy prices been a big boon for the FTSE 100 as well? Exactly. And as you know, as a house, JP Morgan is very bullish on oil prices and oil shares. We've recently also seen an upgrade on the global energy complex from our strategist, Christian Malik. So I think given that, the FTSE 100 has a lot further to go here. Great. So it sounds like you're pretty bullish on FTSE 100. And it's worth noting that our strategist, Mislab, has been and remains very bullish of this index too. So Krupa, that's all really helpful. Can we turn to the domestic indices now? Yeah. So, 
I mean, I think that is something which is worth looking at as well as a short, because domestic UK stocks have actually been underperforming a fair bit because of all of these taxationary concerns that we've had in the UK economy this year. But again, I mean, very much like the sterling and very much like the gilt market as well, I don't think the FTSE 250 or if you look at our Delta One team's domestic UK basket, neither of them are pricing in the the recession risks, which are increasingly becoming quite real in the UK economy yet. Thank you so much, Krupa. Well, I think you've laid out there your core equity views, a relatively high conviction, bullish call there on the FTSE 100, which is really fascinating and, and may be perceived as somewhat counterintuitive versus the pretty tricky inflation growth policy type backdrop you laid out at the beginning. But in the context that the FTSE 100 is very much an exporting index and a globally exposed index, I, I absolutely hear your views there. And I would say I love the expressions you've thrown into today's discussion. I mean, in the inflation Brexit premium, which I haven't heard before, and also Hugh Pill's table mountain approach to policy rates. Such an interesting one helps us understand where the path of rates may go from here, i.e. not much lower. So thank you very much, Krupa, for all of that. No worries at all. I do think the UK is an overlooked market right now, which is full of attractive investment opportunities. So it's really great to be going through all of the nitty gritties of the UK economy and markets right now with you. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning in to this bi-weekly podcast from our group. If you have questions or you'd like to get in touch, then do go to our website at jpmorgan.com forward slash market dash data dash intelligence. And there you can always reach out via the contact us form. And with that, we'll close. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Market Matters. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate and subscribe to JP Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, together J.P. Morgan. They are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Referenced products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer. For the avoidance of doubt, opinions expressed by any external speakers are the personal views of those speakers and do not represent the views of J.P. Morgan.